Hi, and welcome to the Female Health Podcast. My name is Mary Jo McGuire, owner of MJ Nutrition. I have a degree and master's in nutritional science, and I'm studying to be a nutritional therapist also. I work with women every day who want to lose weight, improve their relationship with food, hack their hormones, regulate their cycle, restore their periods, learn about nutrition for hormonal balance, help women come off the pill, and lots more. This podcast will be a place to talk about all things female health related, from periods, the pill, weight loss, diets, fertility, acne, PMS, and lots, lots more. I hope this platform to be educational and empowering so women can take charge of their health, their hormones, so they can feel and look their best at all stages. Hi everyone and welcome to season three of the Female Health Podcast. So happy to be back and recording episodes again. And this episode is with the amazing Amelia Thompson. I'm so excited for you to listen to this. Um, it's a very insightful conversation um, all around like relationship with food, body image, uh, perception of yourself and just things to com- improve obviously your relationship with food, yourself, uh, your confidence, um, and get away from, I suppose, uh, unhealthy uh, eating dietary patterns and habits. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode. For context, this was recorded in May, I think, of 2022. So we're talking about five months ago from now. Um, So just so you know, there may be some issues that we were talking about that were more relevant or uh, around that time but anyway it should still be really um insightful and relevant to just the current context of body image dieting etc so hope you enjoy and thank you again for listening Hi and welcome to another episode of the Female Health Podcast. So today I'm joined by a lovely guest, Dr. Amelia Thompson, who is a nutrition consultant. Um, And um, basically, if you don't know who she is, you must be living under a rock because she has an amazing Instagram profile, which I would highly recommend following um, for lots of different I suppose topic areas which we'll kind of go through uh, in today's uh, chat but uh, Amelia thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me and also for introducing me as lovely I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to introduce properly because I always wonder I'm like I hope I say it properly or do it justice I guess because I love when people come on I just want to make sure that I do it justice as well in, in introducing the, the guests probably <laughs> so that's good um but um thank you as I say for coming on and like we have a few different areas that we want to cover but I suppose before we kind of get into it again like I say people don't know who you are do you want to just introduce a little bit about yourself and kind of what you're doing now what you work with and or who sure. you work with more so <laughs> sure so I am like you said a nutrition consultant I'm a registered nutritionist and my background is quite academic I've got a PhD in exercise physiology and a master's in nutrition and I also used to compete in bodybuilding which is kind of the the marrying of the two is basically what landed me into the position that I'm at now which is I run a coaching team and we work predominantly with people to improve their relationships with food and their body image in some way and that might look like helping them with um, overeating and emotional eating or people who are very stuck in diet cycles and feel a sense of control or find use food to get a sense of control. Um, it might also be similar to yourself, people who have struggles with PMS or HA, hypothalamic amenorrhea, or go through menopause. And we work to just basically help people to find a place of peace and health with their nutrition and their exercise. And on the other side, I run a nutrition course for personal trainers called EIQ Nutrition, and I run that with Emma Story Gordon. And that what that is is basically it's an evidence-based course that brings in compassion and mindfulness, behavior change, and incorporates that with basic nutritional recommendations that personal trainers can kind of give within their scope of practice. And so we run that kind of I guess that's a side business it's not a side business it's the other half of my business business, (laughs) yeah (laughs) both seem to be doing really really good and like I I love everything that you talk about like especially one of the main things is your empathetic and compassionate approach to coaching and dealing with but yeah so with your coaching style but also obviously I don't know your actual coaching style when you work with people but from what you kind of talk about and then uh, also like the approach that you kind of use in say someone has difficult relationship with themselves and food and emotional eating to use that I guess compassionate approach with themselves as well and like you kind of alluded to there like you become more at peace with the relationship with all of those issues which um you know is 
a difficult place to to get to but also coach probably because there's it's kind of there's such a masculine kind of energy still in um dealing with these issues isn't there in that it's like let's fix the problem how can we do it like here's the tools but then that other side of it like that compassionate compassionate empathetic approach isn't really um not always but like it's becoming more popular now I guess I don't mean popular but you know what I mean it's becoming more done which is which is really really important I think yeah for sure you're right I think when I first started I was speaking about this on a podcast the other day when I first started looking into this from my own basically was from my own journey through competing that I realized that I needed to look into emotional eating and binge eating and all of this side of things and at that time it was 2014-15 and no one even knew what relationship with food was no one even knew that you're supposed to have a relationship with food let alone mindfulness and compassion and and I and I remember when I started I went to California a couple of years later and delved into a lot of the mindfulness work and Brene Brown and compassion and when I started talking about it everyone thought I'd gone from this science person to this airy-fairy nonsense person it's like these are all things are evidence-based it's just that in science we're not taught that compassion is evidence-based and and we don't we're not taught empathy as scientists and actually these are the things that should be driving our practice the evidence-based nutrition guidelines are just kind of an underlying thing that should be there that's not what drives change it's all the other stuff that drives change and I remember having a conversation with somebody who was a bit of a mentor at the time and he was like you know you get away with it because you're evidence-based and I was like I don't it's great because now we are talking about it a lot more and people think it's less kind of airy-fairy now but there is still definitely that drive everyone just wants to fix everything especially as, as coaches and nutritionists and personal trainers all we want to do is fix things and it's like sometimes especially with the work I do you have to break apart a little bit to then rebuild it and it's the breaking apart bit that sometimes people just want to rush over because they just want to stick faster on it that's the really hard part as well as like maybe you have to like and there'll be a lot, probably a lot of resistance from your clients like when you do use that approach because like wait what are you doing I didn't come to you for this I really want results I want to be fixed I thought you could help me mm-hmm. um, and going that approach it, it's harder I guess but um, hopefully it would like serve them in the long run and that they're actually developing a better relationship learning more about themselves so much can come out of that like awareness and this the other tools like developing empathy for themselves which can improve relations beyond just them and it's it's amazing what it can do um I guess like we can get into it more now um in terms of the um some of the topics that we're going to cover and how like that kind of it comes up like um but like one of the areas that we um I wanted to get you on about was um talking about body image um which is something you work a lot with and um and then I suppose we can without even talking about PMS right now just like kind of body image in general so say someone comes to you um, and just has a very negative sense of worth about their body and and so on like do you see that a lot is that one of your main types of clients as such and what is your typical typical I put in quotes approach to trying to deal with that yeah for sure so what we tend to see is people that have I think it's important actually to define what body image is because Mm. people think body image is about their the way that their body looks and it's not it's about how we think feel evaluate and the habits that we develop to try and change our bodies it's it's how we think about our bodies in a nutshell and feel about our bodies as opposed to our bodies themselves and so often we think well if I change my body I I will have a better body image because it will be the societal norm or it will be where I used to be happy or it will be at my goal weight and I'll have achieved something so my body weight will my body image will be better and that's just not what we actually see and the research even says that lower body image is associated with increased uh, duration of dieting so if you've been dieting for years and years and years and years thinking that you're going to change your body image it's really the opposite Now, that's not to say that body image that we have as an association to people in smaller bodies tend to not always do have a better body image than people maybe in larger bodies. So I'm certainly not saying that your body is not, it's not associated. I don't like people who kind of, I don't like it when people sort of say they've got nothing to do with each other. The research says there is some association there, but it is very much how we think and feel and act about our bodies. So it's, most people come to me with disordered eating habits in some way and body low body image tends to come hand in hand with that not always but often 
because it's usually people who have been chronically dieting or over restricting and overeating and and they're trying to change their bodies because they have low body image so often it's a bit of a cycle yeah and it's the kind of approach to it is sort of twofold in that working on your relationship with food generally helps your body image because you when you work on your relationship with food you become somebody who tries to nourish your body and take care of your body and what's one of the things that I really like with body image work and I try and support my clients to get to is seeing your body as this vessel that houses your soul this vessel that gives you life and you'll see on my Instagram I often refer to my body as she or her and my clients start to do the same and they say oh I took care of her this weekend because we did x y and z and I think that distinction can be really really helpful because sometimes we struggle with low self-worth and low self-esteem and it's hard to treat ourselves but if we can look at our bodies as this thing that needs to be taken care of this her that needs to be taken care of it can really help in terms of how we see ourselves um but I think as well on the other side of that people it's important to get to a point where we feel neutral with our bodies I think at the moment there's this big drive to love our bodies all the time and I think it's important to love your body for what she allows so there's a lot of work you can do around things like what we call body functionality which is an awareness of what your body allows and perhaps in an appreciation for that so it might be I recognized this morning that my body let me find my way out of the forest and run back to this podcast that I wasn't like um and I and I'm grateful for my body being able-bodied and being able to go through that go through that forest and get my way out and that's in a nutshell right so body functionality incorporates things like our immune function our digestive system all these things that we don't even think about day-to-day that our body allows us to do so it's about like we can love our bodies for allowing all of those things but there's this big push and I think one of the problems that we have especially that I see with my clients is people think that good body image is looking in the mirror and loving everything that they see and that's not what it is it's about respect respect for our bodies treating our bodies well and being neutral you might love what you see and that's fantastic you're allowed to love what you see but that is not the goal and I think people often and I definitely see this with my clients people get frustrated because they think well when am I ever going to love my cellulite chances are you might not and that's that's totally fine you just get to the point where you go oh that's cellulite and then you crack on with your day And, and I think if you can let go of that end goal being something that is unachievable for everyone except the thin influencer that has cellulite then it really helps with finding a place of peace with your body because again just like food that's what we're looking for is a place of peace and contentment with it yeah yeah do you, is body neutrality would you say is a kind of getting to a place of acceptance of yourself is that where you're kind of striving not yeah. striving towards yeah pretty much except yeah. acceptance of your body and acceptance for what it allows and it's less about what it again it's less about what it looks like and more about acceptance of the life that it gives you and the functions and similar to that functionality awareness that I was speaking about. Yeah. I guess if you're placing all your emphasis on just the body image in terms of its, in when I say image, in terms of its actual looks and what it looks like, you're always going to have, it's never going to be constant really, is it? Like there's it literally will flow in, even in a given month, you're going to look at yourself and feel differently maybe about it. So having the approach that you use of neutrality, look, appreciation, looking at its functions is a lot more, um, well, it will allow just for a lot more, um, like more, I guess, acceptance of yourself and appreciation of yourself than uh, without putting so much emphasis on on the looks approach. Because, like I did say there, it does change so much. And even myself, I can use an example. Some days I'm like, oh yeah, look okay today, great. And then another time it's like, bloody hell, it's like, what happened? And it's just like, <laughs> no, it just it changes. Like, and it it, it would be like again I get it you do have to get to I suppose a point where you're able to talk to yourself in that way to not let it bring you down for the whole day because there was times where like and I'm sure maybe this happened to you and where it would just affect your day and it would be like so uh, or your week and you wouldn't really go out in a night out because of it or you wouldn't go out with friends you wouldn't eat something because of maybe the way you saw yourself in the the mirror that morning Hmm. yeah and I think you've kind of touched on a good point there's just this is um concept called body image flexibility which is basically what you said it's the ability to 
wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and go, oh, I'm bloated today or, you know, I've got PMS, whatever it is. I don't feel great about myself today. I'm going to choose to wear my baggy T-shirt and my trackies and crack on with my day rather than I look awful. I'm going to spend the rest of the day looking at myself, body checking myself, wearing uncomfortable clothes and, and chastising myself because I don't look the way that I want to look. And when we embody image flexibility, that that ability to kind of notice it and just get on with your day is one of the contributors to a better body image. So really calling yourself out when you look in the mirror. And for a lot of people, this is scale weight. Um, it's the same sort of yeah. thing of body checking. And, and you have a choice. If you have a choice of if that looking in the mirror every morning is leading you to have destructive habits later in the day or negative self-talk during the day, do you have to look in the mirror in the morning? Do you have to check your scale weight in the morning? Mm-hmm. And if you do, then call yourself on your behaviours after that. What are you doing after that? Are you falling into a spiral of negative self-talk? What else could you do? Could you look at your face in the mirror that day and look at yourself in the eyes and think, you know, this is who I am. This is my soul. And maybe you can do some affirmations or maybe you can just say, you know, today I'm grateful that I'm alive. It doesn't have to be about your body and then move on with your day. And it's, we have to have some personal accountability of what we do at that point. And on the flip side of that, something you touched on is some days you just feel like your body image is lower and it's it's because a lot of it's related to mood. And if you keep a diary of, <clears throat> you know, say you rate your body image out of 10 every day and you rate your mood out of 10, what you'll probably find is that the days that you're in a good mood, you feel pretty hot, you feel pretty fit. And the days that you may be stressed or anxious, you'll find that your body image is probably a little bit lower because it's so related to our mood. And yeah. again, we go, it's funny that you can look in the mirror one day and say, I'm quite happy with where my body's at. And then you can look in the mirror the next day and think, oh my God, I've I've genuinely believed that I've gained weight or I've lost weight or whatever it is for you that doesn't feel great, even though your body is pretty much exactly the same. And it's much to do with the way that you're feeling and you're thinking as opposed to the the reality of the situation. A hundred percent. Like I find it crazy sometimes, like and like you know I'm a nutritionist and I'm working in this area like but I just it does help me I guess like be in my client's shoes sometimes just looking in the mirror and some days like I say I'm like oh it's great another day I'm not it's just like it's just everyone goes through that and like nothing is constant and that's something that I kind of again tell myself as well on days where I'm not nothing is constant today it's just a day I'm like it's all right like there's lots of other things to worry about or think about I guess yeah yeah (laughs) yeah consult your list for anxiety and go through those things instead of your body always take your mind off it to think about everything else that could go wrong exactly exactly (laughs) there's a big list there um no that's good I suppose that does kind of bring us into like you touched there on the mood thing so like when it comes to premenstrual syndrome um that's when for me I know as I'm like that's why I do not feel as good and like a lot of women can feel like that as well and I know you're touching this as well it could be just like the Instagram placebo effect because we're told to believe that as well or think that this is going to happen and that is a truth that can definitely be a factor too so there's that and we'll talk about that if you want to just explain that as well but then do you want to talk about like why I suppose that the changes like um in hormones and with mood and you kind of have already done so, I guess, but just coming into like uh, the, when it really relates to women at that time of the month, why body image might uh, worsen. For sure. So yeah. So the first thing you said, you're right. We are so prone to the placebo effect. And if someone wakes you up in the morning and says, you're going to be really hungry today, or you're going to feel really crap today, you're going to be in a really bad mood today. We are more likely to be hungry and be in a crap mood. So there are people on Instagram who will tell you every month you're going to struggle to get out of bed. You're going to only want to eat chocolate, that you your body image is going to be really bad. And if we see this every single day or every single month, we start to get into a cycle of, oh, well, that person told me during my luteal phase I'm going to feel that way. And so we kind of just start to expect it and it can we can kind of fall into a self-fulfilling prophecy with that. So I think... We all just have to be accountable to this. And, and I think it's a good time to say not everyone has the same experience during PMS. And not and like like I'm sure you'll have said a hundred times, not every cycle is the same. One cycle, you could be like, oh, oh, I've started my period. I mean, those are the joyous times, but they're obviously yeah. rare. And then other cycles, you think, oh my God, I want to die. And and it's like nothing has changed. Maybe your sleep's changed or you know, your life's a little bit different, but you're trying to find something that changed and you're just like, what was it that's different this yeah. time? 
yeah and, and sometimes it's just it just is what it is right yeah, exactly. yeah and we don't want to go into that narrative of every month this is going to look the same and every month it's going to look the same as I don't know some sort of Instagram influencer who told us that that's going to happen but the other things that can happen is so obviously you get the increase in appetite for a lot of people and it's roughly 150 to 250 calories that's increasing BMR and that in itself is not a problem but often what we find is people try and ignore it yeah or they just kind of say oh I'm really really hungry they then get frustrated because they're really hungry especially people on a fat loss diet or who have disordered eating habits they go oh my god I'm so annoyed that I'm hungry and as soon as you start to get annoyed about being hungry you're then annoyed for the day you're then frustrated for the day then your mood drops and then your mood that has that impact on body image like I was saying earlier so being really cognizant of the fact that yes your hunger might change and yes it's normal and approaching it like oh great my body is doing what it's supposed to do and normally it's quite normal to get an increase in BMR again not everyone gets this but most people do yeah so recognizing that and not trying to ignore it and not trying to get frustrated at it and just accepting it and honoring it super important but we also um aside from the kind of traditional PMS mood challenges that we also get we also actually there's some research that looks at um how we body check during PMS and it's super interesting so during the luteal phase so like five seven days before we bleed we when we look in the mirror we tend to focus more on the areas of our body that we don't like about ourselves and this is not under conscious control we don't deliberately look in the mirror and go I'm going to look at my belly but we do we we look there and then we spend less time looking at the areas that we like um compared to a sort of ovulation time where it's flipped on its head yeah we also not only um look at those more we we tend to prolong the time that we're looking at them so we leave the kind of body checking mirror situation having looked at ourselves through such a negative lens only looking at the bits that we don't like not looking at the bits that we do like and so again that negatively impacts our body image and the studies I don't know if you've seen this research but the the research like they didn't ask the participants like did they notice that they were doing anything different they don't you don't notice that you're doing it it's very much under subconscious control so you have that kind of low mood increased hunger anger at your hunger Instagram placebo effect you're also looking at the bits of your body that you don't like yeah you're tired because a lot of people during that week don't get sufficient sleep so you're tired you're pissed off sorry and all of these things just come together and then you wonder and then you check in if you've got if you're working with a nutritionist or you're working with a coach and then you say things aren't working it's just I just it's just been a really bad week you may well have also overeaten a little bit that week because you're hungry because you're a little bit emotional yeah and then you find that week and you just think your weight goes up because water weight um and you think oh my god everything I've done for the last month to work on my nutrition to work on my fitness whatever it is that your goals are you think it's all gone wrong yes just wait just wait for one more week and let's see what happens I know when you say it like that and all of the things that are coming together it's like crap we have so much going on it's like how do we actually get through that time like yeah exactly but I think that's the thing like awareness is so important so awareness that all of these things happen and but also just acceptance of okay let's just give it a week let's just give it a weekend me and my business partner we often say like just don't make any big decisions that week just don't just allow that week to be what it is now I'm certainly not one of those people that is all about kind of um working on certain days of your cycle and taking certain days of your cycle off and there's a lot of kind of I think you'll see this a lot in your field but you see a lot of people who over dramatize these things of like during your luteal phase you won't be able to even see your computer screen you'll be so tired I don't like any of that stuff but awareness is important and go oh okay I noticed that's what it's going on that's interesting let's wait until next week before I drop through drama about it yeah I know I I, that research is really I actually haven't come across that yet but like it's very interesting and like again like I don't mean to be bringing this back to myself but I feel like I can relate to that as well I like, just like at that time of the month like looking at like the, t- the stomach area just like oh and like not looking at anything else like it's and again like subconsciously I just uh, maybe it's it because like stuff is happening down there and we're just like I don't know our energy is like focused on like the, the stomach area I don't know like but it's yeah. 
possibly and uh, we feel like it we feel like it's big right we feel like it's bigger yeah. than normal it may well be it may well not be but when you've got all of these things going on in there of course it feels like giant of course yeah. it, it demands all of your attention yeah yeah absolutely um and also as well like with regards I, I totally agree with you with the kind of like the cycle thinking approach like every single cycle is different like and you know if you look at like clients check-ins you go back there's nearly not many patterns you know there, there's something different my own cycle is quite different and like you'd be trying to figure out like what it is but it just changes and that's just it like and yeah like the hormone fluctuations are kind of what should be kind of similar but like that doesn't mean like there's other aspects you know there's other factors like there's just your mood your general day-to-day life your work life your relationship life that all impact all these other parts of the the month I guess you want to call it that like you know it's they all impact how you're feeling and give rise to it as well not just the hormonal changes so yeah like it's I there's a lot of stuff out there on cycle thinking that's a bit OTT I think and like that gets you like gives that kind of um you're gonna like think then you have to feel like this at all stages so it's like kill yourself the first two weeks and then the other two weeks it's like I can't do anything now yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember listening to someone once I said you know I don't plan any work events for like those two weeks I do the other type of work and I thought hey how privileged you are to be able to say you know what I only do the work on myself for those two weeks and then for the other two weeks and just work on other people like how privileged a position most people are not like that most yeah. people have got families and jobs and you know lives to live and I think it, it, it's quite the whole point of all of this awareness is empowerment is to say let's work with my body and yeah. myself and be aware not to the point of disempowerment of saying well you just can't do anything for that time and I think I think the line gets a little bit blurred and it crosses into yeah. almost like disempowerment which I don't yeah. like it's like telling a mum with kids like just to spend time on herself the last two weeks of the month like how unrelatable is yeah, that yeah exactly don't work don't do anything have your kids run around after you make them clean up it's fine yeah not yeah. time for you to relax and then the other side as I heard um like try to arrange all of your dates and interviews for when you're ovulating it's just like okay in an idea world like oh my God. hard enough to get a date like yeah exactly that oh sorry you're on hinge but you're like oh I'm really sorry we were having a great chat but could you wait 3.4 weeks before we then actually go on a date and it has to be on how ludicrous and then god forbid that you end up having you know a first date six and then you're like, oh, well, I'm ovulating right now. And if you're, I mean, there's always safe sex, but you know. Yeah, I know. Things happen. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So it's kind of actually more dodgy advice, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, no, I think that was really, yeah, no, I, I really agree with everything that you're saying there around um, all of that, like the body image changes and like I suppose in terms of then a quick like strategy or a little bit of a, a, a toolkit for someone like going through this what would you say like I guess kind of again like focusing on the the functionality and the appreciation like, is a really good one and again I use that with my clients and get them to tone in on that a lot and like like you say even being grateful for waking up in the morning and like it might seem like like we do take a lot of things for granted like that our body can do for us but like there is people who simply can't do like do the things that we do like you walking in the forest this morning someone would literally get down on their knees to be able to do that you know what I mean where it's just like there's I guess it's kind of a perspective thing but like being um appreciative of the small things that our body can do for us and not just focusing on it as like a physical aspect even like the way our mind works or our kindness or personalities there's so many aspects to us yeah you've hit the nail on the head because I think especially in fitness we are prone to thinking when we start this journey and start to learn a little bit more we're prone to thinking oh I'm just so grateful that I got my PB in the gym or I'm just so grateful that um I could go out from a run and it's like these are these are very able-bodied constructs and we have to take a step back and say actually this type of work has to be applicable for everyone and people who are able-bodied we tend to take a lot of this stuff for granted and it's like rather than saying oh I'm grateful for that imagine your life with that taken away imagine that you couldn't walk in the forest after today how grateful do you wish you had been about the times that you could and I think that's a really good way to frame 
like body gratitude and body appreciation is imagine you just didn't have that opportunity anymore and that would and sit with that feeling and that really can help with your with your gratitude yeah and I think I think as well like I suppose at that time I would just do things like check on yourself in terms of how much your body check in do you have to take scale weight that way do you have to look in the mirror it always amazes me so some of the work that I do with clients is looking at you know checking how many times they body check in a day or how many times they look in the mirror in the day and I think I think that the only time I look in the mirror is probably in the gym when it's right right in front of me and then in the morning when I say do my makeup do my eyebrows um that's the that's the extent of it and I definitely know in the past especially when I was competing and dieting every single mirror every single car window I'd be like oh what do I look like there what does my mom look like what do my shoulders look like and 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 we we start to internalize that as normal yeah call yourself on that the mirror's there to do to like fine if you want to look at yourself fine but it's there just to get ready in the morning and then crack on with your day not to sit down at your desk so right now behind my computer screen is my giant mirror I can kind of just see my foot but it's like definitely in the past I would have looked at how my body looks when I'm talking to you and that's not what they're there for so I think we have to just really hold ourselves accountable and and like yeah hold ourselves accountable to how often that's happening yeah yeah I guess like if you're doing that a lot you're giving a lot of energy to um focusing in on again how you're looking throughout the day when if you can switch that to think of all the other things that are going on in your life there is more in going on in your life everyone has stuff you know like and if um big or small like so trying to transfer that energy to that like and spend less time doing that and like again that's a process it doesn't just happen okay I'll stop looking at myself but like you say catching yourself and reducing it and then concentrating on like what you're doing what task you're doing so say you are walking by in the shop and you see yourself instead of focusing on every shop window think like okay what I have I got to do now what thing are going on today uh just to, again to help maybe take your mind off it like but like to move away from that fixation of always like checking yourself in the mirror and again like again I, I'm sure lots of clients can relate to this if they're going through like a fat loss journey and um wanting to see results you come very into like are you seeing them what's it is it is it happening like am I getting there what do I look like it's just a huge amount of energy being placed on that physical appearance which is um which is fine but like it can get so overwhelming and so much that like it can take away from other aspects of your life and then you start to stop appreciating or reduce appreciation for other things about yourself as well then Mm, absolutely that and I think you know we can't we couldn't pick that up as a as a coach to say oh you're spending this too much time doing these things but we can certainly pick up ways that you feel or the ways you talk about yourself and these types of associations that we know happen and you know journaling can be so helpful here to look at like how you're thinking and feeling about your body and the stories that you're telling yourself about it and and keeping a log of that day to day or week to week to see how that changes can be so helpful and meditation as well can be super helpful and it's not meditation is less about the in the moment support that it gives you but meditation develops body appreciation it develops an underlying sense of compassion and it develops an underlying sense of mindfulness where you can start to become more aware of your thoughts and I think a lot of this body image work is about being mindful of your thoughts and being mindful of the stories that you tell yourself and so meditation for me is one of the most transformative things you can do when it comes to a relationship with food in your body and people hate it because they sit down and their brain goes off and starts talking and they say they're failing at it and so they give up and actually I think it's one of the most impactful things that you can do because if if nothing else it helps you become more aware of your thought patterns and that self-awareness and developing self-awareness is is crucial if you want to move through any of this stuff I think 100% and like people probably listening like who have maybe don't follow you or haven't heard of this approach like how the hell does like meditation help with my food relationship but like yeah like you say it it, over time can build up that sense of compassion for yourself and the awareness and everything and like I think with meditation like when I get people clients to do it and even friends I'm talking about it like they they, I'm not good at it or like I I don't feel good after it straight away like and it's not one of those things where you get instant gratification from like say like I don't know a workout you feel really good after it maybe it's like one of those habits that like give you that kind of boost with meditation it's 
I find difficult as well. It's not something you feel amazing afterward, but it's kind of like a practice that, like you say, it's like the aftermath and the the what it's kind of doing to your it's with your brain chemistry and everything over time. And um, but that does take a bit of while to get into, I guess. But it's a really good practice to develop for yeah. all of these things. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's about accepting that it doesn't look like clearing your mind and not thinking of anything. That's not what meditation is. It's it's about, one of my older clients said to me once, she said, as soon as I started framing meditation, like strength training for my brain, it became really easy. And she said, so every time my mind wanders, I bring it back to the present moment and that's one rep. And then it goes, it goes again and I bring it back to the present moment, that's two reps. And she said, and every time I do that, it's strengthening my brain. And mm-hmm. I love that analogy, and I thought that's exactly that's that is the power of meditation. It's that bringing back. It's not clearing your mind. No. And as soon as you frame it like that, I think that that can be super helpful. Yeah, I, it's not really meant to be about clearing your mind. I think that's a misconception that got around somewhere. Like, and it's not really possible for that to happen. It's just more being observing the thoughts and actually being more aware, of like where your thoughts go and what's happening, and uh, that then creates better awareness for. A lot of things going on like and later on and, and like that can help then with um your relationship with food and um your approach to your your self-talk with yourself as well and things like that which is which is hugely important um when like we kind of kind of stepped into this area now like kind of better relationship with food and like emotional leading and this kind of um work that you do as well and like I know that you talk a lot about taking a pause when you're before you do something like you know want to binge eat I would say that but can we talk about this kind of area I guess of like eating um no disordered eating habits binge eating emotional eating and what the differences are maybe and um how you work sure Sure. um okay so let's think about the differences let's start at the top um disordered eating really is doesn't have a clear definition but disordered eating really uh, involves any sort of habits or thoughts or feelings that you have around food that negatively impact your life in some way so it might be that you struggle to eat out without tracking your dinner and it makes you feel anxious if you eat differently from plan or it might be that you overeat emotionally you eat or binge eat or it could be that you use exercise to burn off calories there's there's such a wide spectrum um so it's not no one could tell you it looks like this or that but if food or exercise is negatively impacting your life in some way it's probably a sign that it's something that you want to work on and then when it comes to overeating emotional eating binge eating these are things that I think people get confused a little bit about emotional eating is any sort of eating that we do in response usually to a negative emotion and it's it's a sign of kind of emotional dysregulation so when we don't necessarily know how to name and meet an emotion appropriately we ignore that feeling or we choose to distract ourselves from that feeling with food or we try to kind of re- repress or suppress or reduce that feeling with food that's what emotional eating is now emotional eating could also incorporate overeating and binge eating which are slightly two different things again which is the key thing that i think people get wrong mm-hmm. Overeating, both overeating and binge eating involve consuming a lot, usually a larger amount of food than normal at any given time, more than what you need in that moment. Yeah. But the the, the, the distinction between the two is that with binge eating, you have this complete loss of control. So with overeating, you could probably stop if you wanted to. So it's kind of like, I know that I'm eating more chocolate than I probably quote unquote should, or then more than I need, but i'm just going to keep eating it for the sake of it or because it's delicious whatever that would be overeating but with binge eating it tends to be you don't even pause you can't even stop to think that it's very out of control and sometimes people can feel like they're out of body like an out of body experience almost Mm -hmm. and repeatedly binge eating is can can, uh, over time will lead to diagnosis if you go to the doctor of, of binge eating disorder which is beyond disordered eating and it is an eating disorder and there's quite strict criteria for that I think what we tend to get wrong at least in fitness I see this a lot is that binge eating can be a further distinction below binge eating is that it can be objective or subjective and what I mean by that 
is objective binge eating is exactly what you think it is. It is eating a larger amount of food than you need and you have this complete loss of control. That would be an objective binge. But what a subjective binge is, is not necessarily eating a large amount of food, but still having that feeling of a complete loss of control. So it might be for one person, they might be able to easily eat half a packet of biscuits after dinner with a cup of tea and crack on with their day and that's all great. Um, but for another person, they might lose complete control over that half pack of biscuits and feel really out of body and they have still have that loss of control. Now, you you might... find that some people say well that's not a binge because it's not a lot of packet of biscuits and that's fine but what's really interesting is if you look at the research the um objective binges so eating a larger amount of food and subjective binges eating a smaller amount of food both have the same impact on quality of life so it's not just about the calories that you're consuming it's about the stories that you tell yourself around that it's about the guilt and the shame that comes with that and the um impact that has on things like your emotions and your behaviours that impact your quality of life. So I think people think that the problem with binge eating is just that the calories consumed, but it's much more beyond that. Okay, absolutely. And then like what what people say a lot, like, oh, I binge eat, like I'm always binge eating. Is that like, how do you, is it like, there's a differentiation there, like you're saying, is that like you could put that in the overeating category or it could be binge eating disorder? to help find that out do you recommend going to a doctor uh, to, yeah to... I mean it's tough right I think if you yeah. if you think that you might be experiencing binge eating disorder or an eating disorder in any way even if you're not sure go to your doctor because that's what they're there for they're there to chat these things through with you and they will be able to advise you refer you or guide you in some way they should be able to or there's be online b-e-a-t online and they you can speak to online advisors there so again if you're not sure but you want to speak to someone online then do that I always think err on the side of caution if you're not sure do that and with my clients I don't work with people with eating disorders but if I thought oh I'm not sure about that then I would go through their doctor yeah. and get a letter from their doctor first to, to confirm that that's what they that, that they're happy with that because eating disorders do require clinical support so I think if you're unsure personally think about do I have that feeling of a complete loss of control? Next time that it occurs in your life, check in with yourself. And if you're able to check in with yourself, that's a good sign because it means that you're kind of slow enough to think about what you're doing and your mind yeah. what you're doing. Um, and then reflect on it afterwards and think, how did I feel at that point? Um, how often is this happening? Is there anything I can change to change that behaviour? Do I want to change that behaviour? And then use your answers to your questions to think, maybe I need to get some more support with that. And I would say that if you're regularly overeating, you do want to get support with that anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, It just depends on, is it a coach that you need someone like me or is it someone actually that you need maybe more clinical support or therapy or go down that route? Yeah, okay, absolutely. Um, And then with regards to say like the emotional eating and, and the just the overeating that's a disordered eating type that that you do work with, um, your steps there, are they like what you kind of mentioned, like taking the pause and thinking, well, what do you get them to, to, yeah. to do with us? Yeah, so the pause is one of the hardest things for anyone to do. It's what meditation helps you with as well because it helps you slow down mm-hmm. and it helps you to respond rather than react. And that's what we're looking to do. We're looking to figure out a way that we can respond to things rather than react to things. Now, you know if you're a responsive or a reactive person by how you respond in arguments, how you respond when your kid throws a tantrum, how you respond when you mess up at work. Do you stop? take a breather and then think okay what's the best way to approach this or do you reply to that email with really loads of anger and send it and then think oh crap that's a good indication of maybe where you lie with this and what we want to do is get to the point where you receive that email and you go I'm going to take five minutes I'm going to mull this over I'm going to come back and then I'm going to see this with fresh eyes and it's the same with food one of the keys with emotional eating is figuring out how to get from the feeling that emotional trigger to eating and putting a pause somewhere in between that and like I said it's probably the hardest part and I think one of the key things is actually starting to recognize that that is is what you're doing sometimes when we emotionally eat we don't really recognize that that's what we're doing we just go straight to it we need to be able to when we feel a certain way say you have an argument with your partner rather 
and then having an argument with your partner and going straight to the snack cupboard stop and and take a breath and I like to do something like box breathing and I encourage everyone to try that before the emotion they eat where you take a deep breath in for four seconds you hold it at the top for four seconds you breathe out for four seconds hold it repeat do that a couple of times just to help ground you to help you be present and then say okay right what's next how do I feel name how you feel we especially as British people are really crappy at understanding and and acknowledging what we feel I think actually maybe most a lot of kind of westernized countries are crap at how they feel maybe not no, maybe not America. They're pretty. No, not America. Yeah, <laughs> at least some parts anyway. Um, but you know, we use the words anxious, stressed, fine, happy. Yeah. Mm, that you know, sometimes we'll broach into sad or grieving, but they're a push. Um, we need to get better at our emotional granularity because there's some evidence that says even just naming an emotion helps regulate it, which yeah. is super important. So starting to get to grips with how do I feel now you can write that down you can ask yourself in your head you can ask it loud noticing how you feel and then that will those two things alone will help slow you down and just add a pause before you eat what you then need to do is know actually how to meet that emotion outside of food if you've used food as your way to to kind of control your emotions for 5 10 15 20 years of course, that's going to be your go-to strategy to, when you feel a certain way. Yeah. But what else do you have in your toolbox? Yeah. What else soothes you? So self-soothing is something that we are, again, really notoriously bad at. Mm-hmm. Do you just go for a walk soothe you? Just speaking to your friends soothe you? Do you like to meditate or colour in or play with your kids? Or what are your soothing coping mechanisms? And when you feel that certain way, what? mechanism matches what you feel we need to figure out when I feel x then I know that y is what I need or when I feel y I know that z is what I need and until you figure that out how do you expect in the moment to be able to come up with something you need to have that in your kind of bank of your toolbox now so that you know when I feel this way so when I feel very anxious I I am natural I naturally hate running I hate all of it but when I'm very, very anxious I quite enjoy a run because it physiologically matches how I feel yeah. and then everything comes back down after it. So yeah. I know that if I want to emotionally eat because I feel anxious, I'll go for like, I mean, a 20 minute run. It's not, it's not like Mo Farah, but it's something, right? And then I come back and say, okay, I've done that. Now, what do I need? And so we need to have this kind of handful of strategies for ourselves and it's going to look different for everyone. Yeah. I think that's really interesting about the naming the emotions because um, it's so true. It's just like I'm anxious or I'm sad or, you know, we don't really delve further. And I just saw recently like this um, wheel of like the basic emotions, say like sad or anxious, but broken down. Mm-hmm. Each one then was broken into eight other kind of words that would be a further uh, emotion that you might be feeling deeper, basically, but a, a better, more appropriate name. Because yeah, like sad is a big spectrum, I guess. There's maybe other emotions under that. That and it is good to um to name it and just can be very very helpful. I'd imagine just by being able to name it getting to be again more aware and making a more appropriate decision and based on that actual emotion that you're um that that is coming up not just a generic word I guess and I suppose emotions drive most of our behaviors like you know like boredom eating is a a big one people use but again boredom you broke that down is it actually boredom is it maybe loneliness or um fear there could be more in there if you do need to maybe break that down a little bit more and not just the top tier emotion that you think you're feeling which probably it is hard work to do it's there's a bit of work there I guess to do mm. that but um it is really helpful to do I guess is what we're for sure. Yeah. for sure and what you're, you're describing is the feelings wheel and it's yeah. kind of one wants to see it if you google feelings wheel you'll just see thousands and thousands of them and my clients a lot of my clients will print them off and stick them in their journals or they'll screenshot it so they've got it and actually one of the things that I do with my clients when they check in is they have to name their feelings for the week. And it's really interesting because it's not from, yes, it gives me a gauge of what they felt that week, but really it's encouraging them to think about 
different words to that they can use to describe how they feel and that just helps with again that emotional granularity yeah okay absolutely and I guess there's also this big shame concept that comes with uh, emotional leading but like it is a coping mechanism for someone to get through something difficult and it shouldn't be seen as such a, a negative thing I suppose the negative side of it comes from maybe when they get to a point that like they're overusing it and it's been over relied on and they don't have any other coping strategies in their toolbox like you say and um, the shame element is is a, another big area like and how do you work with that when someone say does use this a lot or like they're on this calorie deficit diet and they had an argument with their boyfriend they go to snack cupboard they just do a react you know, react straight away do it and then it's just like oh crap and they just feel really bad like what is the how do we go back from there I guess or what's your approach yeah I think you've hit the nail on the head with that emotional eating is completely fine sometimes it's not there's no shame in it in general it's fine as long as it's not the only coping strategy that you have I emotionally eat sometimes fine like it, it, it's normal and on top of that if you're regularly emotionally eating coming at it coming at it from a place of that has served a purpose for you for so long at some point in your life you needed your disordered eating habits emotional eating habits to support you in some way and rather than being angry at them and angry at yourself every time you did it taking an approach of this has served me for 10 years what was the purpose of it and what do what needs do I need to be to meet in order for this not to be such a big thing and the only way to do that is to get curious and not be mad and feel ashamed but to say I want to know why I why I needed to emotionally eat all of this time yeah. so that I can nurture myself like you would if it, if, if it was your child you know so that you yeah. can nurture yourself in that way I think that is super super important um and the shame side of things is something that most people who have disordered eating habits feel some sort of shame and it's unwarranted shame. Yeah. I would say that most people in this world, or at least in the Westernized world, have some sort of disordered eating habits, a lot of people. It's just this extent of them can differ so greatly. Mm-hmm. And my favourite author of all time, that like you'll see me talk about a hundred times probably, is Brene Brown. And mm-hmm. she does a lot of this work in shame and vulnerability and her my favorite quote that I put in loads of my lectures is that shame corrodes the very part of us that is capable of change and it's this idea of when we feel ashamed of something we we are stuck we don't want to talk about it we don't want to admit it and so we pretend it doesn't exist we push it down that is not going to move you out of the habits that you've got again you need to come at it from a place of openness and understanding and empathy empathy is what we call the antidote to shame and that's how I work with clients so my clients know they know that I've been through a lot of it myself so I understand but also there's nothing that my client could say to me that would lead me to judge them or to be critical of them there's there's nothing I haven't heard before either and so I think if you're working with someone else and you're or you're a coach you have to be super compassionate and super empathetic that is the only way to create a space where someone feels that they can be open about things. And the the way to remove shame is to be open, to be open in an environment where someone you trust someone. So it doesn't have to be a coach or a nutritionist. It can be your partner. It could be your parent um, or it could be your best friend, but someone that you trust that, you know, can sit with how you feel is super, super important. Keeping it to yourself is adding to the shame even if you just start by writing it down as opposed to vocalizing it, that's a really good step. Start writing it down so you're removing the shame and getting out of yourself. Yeah. And when you feel comfortable, then having the conversation with someone else that you trust, who yeah. you know is compassionate, who you know is empathetic. So, so important that to have a coach, if you are working with a coach, that you feel you can say that to, that you're not ashamed, that they're, they're not going to make you question why did you do that or worsen the situation basically and I guess the difficult part comes then um I don't know your approach here is um you're being empathetic as a coach um but like how to not like I've seen you talk about this in terms of your coaching as well and this kind of goes into more say coaching now than maybe client focus but when you're talking um when you're dealing with something and say maybe you relate to it and you're really empathetic how do you step away from that and not get too in on it but also be able to help them and 
Yeah, I think, yeah, it definitely does make sense. And I think this is a problem that I had when I first started coaching. And it's not just about with coaches. If you're an empathetic person and you have a lot of relationships where you are that person, it's still super important for you to understand, I think, the difference between empathy and compassion and understanding that you, if you put yourself in that person's position that's one thing but if you sit with them for too long you are getting lost in their world and you cannot help them when you are lost in their world and their pain it's over empathizing is not admirable over empathizing doesn't make you a good coach and doesn't make you a good support network empathy is not necessarily sitting with that person and walking in their shoes but rather recognizing their pain you don't have to have been through something to say I understand what grief feels like I understand what um this emotion that you're feeling feels like even though you've not been through it right and it's about saying I recognize how that feels but maintaining the boundaries enough to keep that perspective and be compassionate and when we talk about compassion compassion is acknowledging and accepting what you feel but also then it's an action part of then doing something about it. And if you are stuck in just empathy and stuck in like this tight bond of, oh, that's so heavy, that must be so hard for you and feeling that, you're quite unable to then take a step out and say, okay, this is the action that we need to take. So I've definitely done it before. and, And I think it's a lack of understanding of A, the difference between compassion and empathy. Yeah but be thinking that more more and more compassion and more and more kindness and more and more empathy the more you have the better and that's not yeah. the, you're not helping anyone by being so too empathetic it doesn't help because they need somebody if someone's coming to you for support they need somebody that can keep some perspective and provide some sort of direction yeah there's so many aspects of being a good coach isn't there but um yeah like when it comes back to someone who's dealing with that 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 shame and that like having you could step in their shoes and talk to them as if you were like the same person really but like to be that effective coach really and for helping them move forward which is ultimately what you want to do yeah empathizing to an extent I guess but then exerting some I don't mean control in a controlling way, but taking a bit of control of the situation and um, moving it forward so that you can help them with some next steps and uh, helping them move out of that place like like you kind of were referring to earlier. Um, no, that, that's really, really helpful because I do think it's a, it's a challenging thing to do. And like you say, even if you're not a coach, uh, empathetic people can do that. Like, and just kind of get very involved in really in, in good intentions, but to the point that like, then you're actually not helping anymore. It's just two of you are both feeling really <laughs> both of you were feeling really bad or whatever yeah, yeah exactly that sitting yeah. in a little circle crying together yeah. it's not, sometimes that's needed but not in definitely not in coaching no no not in coaching I, think. <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about something you were kind of talked about a bit earlier on was like um this place where a lot of people are saying oh love my cellulite or love my body and um you know and you were talking about body neutrality more so like not always you're going to be in love with every aspect of yourself which is really fair it's so unrealistic to think that every single day we're just going to be like love everything about ourselves and in the physical sense um and I saw something I just I really thought it was interesting as a post you did regarding I think again it might even coaches or I don't even know if it was just people in general uh, and I'm not thinking about any one person when you said this but it's just I thought it was really interesting telling people in leaner bodies to uh sorry leaner bodies someone in a leaner body telling girls to love themselves the way they look um, mm. and regardless of their size I guess so what what like I guess inspired you to write that or is your your thoughts about that yeah so the the post was in di- in uh, relation to people who are in smaller bodies in general often smaller than me but smaller in general bodies posting pictures of their rolls their quote-unquote fat rolls skin rolls and yeah. um, cellulite etc and saying this is reality love every aspect of this um that's what the post was in relation to and i've and i've kind of alluded to my distaste towards this for a couple of years but i'm mindful of it because i know a not always, but I think a lot of the time it's done with good intention. So I'm certainly not here yeah. to bash anyone. I think sometimes it's purely done for engagement because those types of posts, Instagram loves those types of posts and pushes a lot of engagement towards them. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's always good intentions. But my issue with it 
is one, it promotes the idea that I was talking about earlier that at some point you're going to get to the point where you love your cellulite. And you might, and that's great, but you might also not. And having an unachievable, unattainable goal like that is frustrating for a lot of people because we think that we're feeling where we're at when actually that's never going to be something that we can achieve. It's like this new idea of perfection that we're aiming for that doesn't exist. Um, My other issue with it is that it still focuses on the body. Now, when I understand in the past, we've we've kind of airbrushed all of this stuff out and it's quite important to do that. But ultimately, I don't do a post and say, I've got eyes and I've got a nose and I've got a mouth and I've got curly hair and X, Y and Z because it's normal. I also have cellulite. But if I put a picture up with cellulite in it, then it's just a picture with cellulite in it and my hair and my eyes and my nose. I don't point out all of those things. If we want to normalise something, we normalise it by not airbrushing it, but also by not highlighting it either and just accepting that, well, like that's just part of life. And the more we continue to emphasise this stuff, the more it's still a thing that we feel like we have to be aware of. I I don't want to go to the beach and think, I have to be aware that I've got cellulite and then own the fact that I've got cellulite and be in love with the fact that I've got cellulite. I want to go to the beach and not even think about the fact that it's there, just yeah. like I don't think about the fact my eyes are there. And at a point, maybe these things were important, but I think we've moved through that now. And, and as a whole, we should be thinking about not even talking about it at all. It's like, I think it's ASOS, maybe, that they have their models and they don't airbrush it out. That is normalising and that is fantastic. And that's what we should be looking to do, not continuously talking about it and bringing it out. So. Yeah. And I think I don't like to patronise anyone because I know a lot of people will comment on these posts and say that that's actually really helpful to them. But I question maybe it's helpful to them in the moment, but how much more helpful would it be just not even mention it at all? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. I get what you mean there. Like it is just it, it's bringing attention again to the the, the issue and the 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 situation and like at that time they might feel like understood when they see that post oh I'm not it's not just me but then again they still go off to the beach or whatever and it's like that that area is still a focus it's a they're aware of it whether it's normal it's, it's told to be normalized it's still like oh I have to be feeling that this is normal now or whatever yeah. like, you know um which is really difficult to do and like whereas we don't talk about these things and just like just get on with it I guess really without and except that we all have these things in our body every single literally or something in all of us that we don't like but like we just um if we're to spend all of our time looking at people online that have something similar that we don't like about ourselves and like oh god I'm not the only one but again it's still drawing so much attention to that part of yourself that you're you're not liking whatever and you're always thinking about it then um, yeah and it's also unbelievably patronizing now I'm not I'm in a societally accepted quote unquote normal thin white body pretty much right and but I'm bigger than a lot of these girls that post these things I have a decent body image body acceptance etc etc I sometimes see these things and I think oh my gosh is that what the quote unquote fitness role looks like now is that what a fat role looks like now because I've got more body fat than that and I think that's fair for me right it's only happened to me once where I thought oh I'm a little bit triggered by that but what message are you sending to people in larger bodies when you say that that is what is cellulite? And when you say that is a role, when you, like, I, I just think for all the quote unquote good that you think that you're doing for people in smaller bodies, really this whole point of the original body positivity movement was for people of colour in larger bodies. Now, by showing the, this as roles and cellulite and someone in a lean body, what you're doing is still trying to take the onus away from people, the autonomy or the power away from people in larger bodies and people of colour. And it doesn't matter what you call it, it's still really unhelpful. And now that space has been flooded with thin white bodies. And that's not the purpose of the original body positivity movement at all. Um, And I think it's probably toxic to people who are in larger bodies. And again, I don't want to patronise anyone. I know, but, uh, and that's kind of my feeling on it as well and I don't know this is probably like my own I don't know I don't know if this is right right or wrong whatever quote unquote. but like again like I I often see like say um 
maybe like an influencer or even like a, a fitness coach or whatever in like a really like like the aesthetically pleasing body or whatever like you know um slim build whatever and then you just love your body for the way it is and all it does and then it's working with a maybe an audience that are not that happy with their 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 body size and are maybe are in bigger bodies um like I just feel it's a bit a little bit like far apart isn't it um like the like the the message I don't, I don't know I find it inauthentic or something I don't know what the word maybe is right wording for it is but it just it doesn't sit right with me maybe is really how I feel about it like it's just um you know it, it's too it's again like what tensions may be good I'm not saying they're not like but again it's just like it's about a body basically and really out there is putting a body out there love your body but like is that easier for someone in in the kind of ideal looking body size to say compared to someone in a, a bigger body or what's your thoughts on that yeah I think I think I don't think it should I don't think it should be there I don't think it, I think the body positivity movement is important was important etc I think that the other stuff I don't think it's helpful I don't think it should be there and I think it's that quote of I don't know where this quote's from but like the road to hell is paved with good intentions that's how I feel a little bit about it yeah there's only so many times you can hide behind good intentions and I've spoken to psychologists about this and people in other coaches and people in different realms to me and they all say the same thing we we have to stop hiding behind people with good intentions whether it's good intention or not we don't know it's not a good enough reason to continue to support this type of narrative yeah yeah okay yeah that's super uh no I agree and uh I think that's a good sum up really for kind of everything that we uh we chatted about um but thank you so much Amelia for coming on I really enjoyed that chat and I think there's a lot of information in there and hopefully helpful information for 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 women listening girls listening because it's kind of my audience but like Mm -hmm. any man that wants to listen to that's great as well um but yeah, like there's so much in there that I, I do think will help people. And I, I really enjoyed um, hearing everything that you had to say as well. So uh, thank you so much for coming on. I really thank appreciate you for it. having me. It was a fun conversation. Yeah, yeah. Thank you again. And I'll be back next week with another episode. Take care, everyone. Thank you. So that's it for this week's episode thank you everyone for listening I really hope you enjoyed that conversation and um, I certainly did I took a lot from it and I hope you did too uh, I just wanted to let you know if anyone wants to work with me in any sort of capacity or have a chat with me about any of the issues discussed in this week's episode or if you would like to work further on your hormones your periods and um, regulating your your cycle again if you've got PCOS or even if you don't uh, you just feel there's something off um, or if you want to just achieve fat loss and you're struggling um, and your relationship with food is not where you would like it to be then I have the option for you to book in a complimentary call with myself so we can have a bit more of a chat um, so I'm going to leave the link for that in the show notes so you can do that straight after this call and um, book in the diary and I will give you a call and we'll go through some of the concerns that you're having and see if I can help you further but thanks again for listening and I'll be back with another episode next week